we were starting last week on the book of James. And we were challenged um, last week about faith and the importance of faith. We were talking a little bit about um, how important it is for us to recognize that in faith we're tested. And when we're tested, God's intention is to test us with the, with the ultimate desire of making us complete, uh, to produce endurance in us. And too often when endurance has to, to come, before endurance must be trial. Because we, we will never grow in faith if we're not challenged and tested. When you think about working out, um, I know in my younger years when I used to work out a lot, a muscle can't grow unless it's tested. If you don't do enough reps on a certain muscle, it will not grow. But you have to break down the muscle before it builds up. And see, sometimes what God needs to do with each one of us is he needs to bring us to a period in time in our lives where we're tested so he can build us up and bring us to the next level. We don't like it. It's painful. Building up a muscle takes requirement of discipline, endurance. It takes the desire to want to say, I don't want to do it today, but I must do it. Um, and I think that that is part of faith. We don't realize is that part of faith is the exercise of listening. It is an exercise. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today because even James was talking about it. When he's talking about faith and he's talking about at this time in his writing around 44 to 49 AD, as I mentioned last week, he was writing during the time where salvation was being established, during the time of Judaism, where the law was precedence for coming to a so-called standing of righteousness before God. You stand right before God when you follow the law, when you keep the law. That was part of Judaism. It was, it was the forefront of Pharisaical law and also the Sanhedrin, but what Pharisaical took it to a different level was that you have to take the law and do it exactly as it's proposed, and then when you do it, then you will stand before God righteous. So what James was trying to do is he was trying to highlight it in this particular book, in this writing, because we know this to be the New Testament, what we call poetic writings, and he's taking what is knowledge and truth and bringing forth wisdom, which lays out knowledge applied. So I said last week that doubt is the chasm between knowing about God and knowing God. This week I'm going to say that wisdom comes between theological, what I say proper, or theology or theory to practice. So you have, you have that, I call the bridge, wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Each one of us would love to have wisdom within ourselves, but when we're in Christ, we have a wisdom that only comes from God, and we talked about that last week. How the wisdom of God, oh, who can know or fathom the wisdom of God, Paul writes in Romans chapter eleven thirty three, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In wisdom we know, even when we think of the story, back in 1 Kings chapter 3, when we think of Solomon, when he had a situation come where two women came and a child was dead, and which one was the mother? But only God could give him wisdom to come up with the answer that he did. And so God gives us wisdom in every areas of our lives. So whether it's at work, at home, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a parent, we need wisdom from God. It's practical. It's practical living. 
Well, James is writing this letter in, in light of that. But we have to understand that within the truth, he, God wants to test us so that we could come out to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So when God is working on us, he's working on us to change us. He's not going to change the situation because he loves us too much. He's going to allow a situation to be difficult because he wants to change you and I. And he won't let up on it because of his love, because of his care. So even though it might be painful for us, he knows that pain is for the purpose to become more like Christ. Now, we may not see the name of Jesus throughout this book. We see it in chapter 2, verse 1, but we don't see it too often. But James is writing in light of the fact that he is one of the pillar leaders of the church, of the church of Jerusalem. And when you have to understand the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, he's laying out, they're laying out and debating what salvation is. Is it salvation is Jesus plus the law? Or is it sola scriptura, which we know in the Reformation time, was essential for carrying out and reforming and changing, which was a painful time for our church fathers. How do we know that? They were being burned at the stake for the sake of the gospel. All for the sake of being reformers, standing firm, not holding back, but like Martin Luther and others, John Calvin would do that for the sake of the scriptures, for the sake of the faith. And so we say solo fede, solo scritura. That is important because that's foundational, that's orthodoxy. Now just because I just laid all that out, orthodoxy means that that's classical foundational faith. The scriptures. Now, when you think of faith, you think of content and you think of a verb. So you have the noun and you have the verb. The content is the word of God, but it's also the content, what it says in the message of the gospel, the person and work of Christ. So when you see faith that's acted upon, it's practically acted upon because a faith that's established in us is the Holy Spirit that lives in us. So when we're living it out practically, we need to surrender our wills to God's will, which is sanctification. But listening is an important part of it. We have to learn to listen. The uh, story here was that Franklin D. Roosevelt, one of our former presidents, had, he liked to smile a lot and have fun. So at one time, uh, he wanted to have some fun with people. He decided that when he had guests in the White House, he would see if people were really listening to him or not. So he would go down certain lines, people would go there to meet him, and he decided at one of the receptions that he'd have a little experiment and decided to say, let me see how people, if they're listening to me or not. So he would go and he extend his hand to welcome them and he would smile politely and say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And as Roosevelt had anticipated, the guests responded with such comments as marvelous. Keep up the good work, Mr. President. We are proud of you. God bless you, sir. And he sat there and he said, boy, I don't think anybody's really listening to me. So finally, he didn't know which one was going to finally catch on. So at the end of the line, not until the end of the line, an ambassador from Bolivia, smart one in the group, he went to him and he said, yes, hi, you know, um, I murdered my grandmother to, you know, this morning. And the, and the ambassador leaned over and, and whispered to him, he says, I'm sure she had it coming. And so, <laughs> see, sometimes what we don't realize is that we think we're really listening when we're really not. We think when someone's talking, let me just share, and I'll share this a little bit as we move on. We sometimes think that someone who's talking is really not listening. 
And then we think the person who's not talking much is always listening. It's not always the case. Be careful of that. Because uh, that's not what's laying out here and what James is trying to say. Being a good listener is not something that comes from your personality trait. Um, I can assure you of that. It's something that we have to find out. So as we're looking at chapter 1, and as we're looking at James and we're, we're highlighting it, and we talked about it last week, verses 1 through 8, we then roll down to, we'll just, just kind of, I would call walk through uh, verses 13 through 15 because he talks about temptation. Now, some would say, why would James talk about temptation? Because that's part of God's testing. God doesn't tempt. Satan will tempt, but God tests. God allows temptation, but he's testing his people. So this falls in line in verses 3 and 4. Now, let me just read chapter 1, verses 2 and through 4, because these first two or three verses here in, the, in chapter one is a highlight of the entire chapter. So let me read that real quick. It says, count it all joy, my brothers. In fact, the NET says, consider it nothing else but joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let your steadfastness or endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, perfect doesn't mean sinless. Uh, It means completeness, maturity in the Greek. That's what it means. So that means you will sin, but God is working it out in our process. In fact, we know sanctification is progressive. It's not perfectionism. You have two views of it. You have progressive sanctification, and we call perfectionistic sanctification, which means that you're supposed to be perfect and never fail. Always have it together. Always be upbeat. Always make sure that you're on top of things. Never fail or never lose faith or never lose hope or never doubt. I don't know where that comes from in the scriptures. I don't see it. But in the Greek, it doesn't seem to tell me that. But it does tell me that we're to progress forward, though. That is important. So if you're still embedded in a struggle and it keeps going there for the last 30 years, something's going on. But progressive sanctification is important because in the midst of our walk with God, trials and tribulations will come. And then it says, if you lack wisdom, that's important because wisdom is, again, highlighting throughout, I think, not just a chapter one, but the entire book. But then you get to temptation, and then it says in verse 16, it says, do not be deceived, because he just highlights the temptational passage there. My beloved brethren, 15 times in the book, my beloved or brethren or brothers. Every good gift, verse 17, and every perfect gift is from above. So that means that trials, tribulations, difficulties are a gift from God. may not feel like a good gift from God, doesn't feel good when your mom or your dad or a friend says, go dig this ditch out for me and doesn't promise any money. And then you go and you're working hard and you're painful and you think you're getting nothing for it. Then all of a sudden the gift is, hey, I didn't say I was going to pay you a hundred bucks, but here, here's a hundred bucks. Well, that would have, could have motivated you any more. Yeah, it probably would have, would have motivated me some more. (laughs) But knowing that, that gift, I didn't, make a contract with that person saying, hey, I'm not doing this hole right here and digging it out with that fence hole digger unless you pay me something. But I said, no, I'll do it. You told me to do it, I'll do it. And then there's the gift. There wasn't a contract there. See, through trials and tribulations, those are even gifts because I'll get something in the end, a result. Doesn't mean I'll get a monetary gain, but it could be result in character building. 
And then it says on this, it says, from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Meaning God is immutable. He never changes his mind, never changes his thoughts. He is immutable. He is character. He is constant. He's faithful. He's dependable. He'll never change. Then it says this, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, the message of the gospel. Some may see message of truth but the word of truth, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So that's, that first fruits uh, in talking with is talking about Jesus too. Talking about the, the faith and the Godhead and, and the deity. But it's talking, highlighting there the word of truth which is the message of the gospel, which is saving lives, which is saving our souls. And we'll talk about it in a minute. So now it goes on in verse 19 here. And uh, it says, know this. Verse 19, or there may be another version like NET says, understand this. Now, this is important because the Greek word here is to know. But it's not, it's not a word to know about something more than it's certain of knowing who someone is. It's more leaning toward an intimate knowledge of something or someone. So here, it's also in a perfect voice in the Greek, which is important to understand too because it's a constant. It's something that happened in the past that has continuous results. So this is what James is saying here. I know something I'm about to share with you. I know about it. I've struggled with it. I'm not just sharing something about something. I've actually had some intimate experience with this. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, know this, my beloved brothers. So there he is, his endearing brotherly love for his Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, let every person be quick to hear. Now that tells me right there, James struggled with it. Some of you might say, well, wait a minute, um, I'm a good listener because I'm quiet. So I'm a good listener. Really? I don't know. Let's see what the scripture says about that. Because it says, let every person, and that's, an, that's a command. But now you might say, Bruno, you're going to break it down to the very word. I mean, yeah, every is pos. In the Greek, it means not just all as generally corporately, but every and every individual. So in this case, saying every person, every anthropos, man, brother, sister, everybody must be quick to hear. That's the imperative. Which tells us this now. No one is counted out. No one can say, hey, wait a minute, I'm a talker, I'm not a listener. You know, wives, husbands, you know, I can tell you this, and wives, you give me an amen. But how many women would say, I love when my husband listens to me? (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah, amen, preacher brother. Okay, but here's the thing. You want that because why? Because wives, mamas, you're feeling loved. You're feeling valued. That's what you want. That's what you need, that confidence, that security that your man loves you. And then when you're telling your children to do something and they turn their head or pretend not to listen, and they're just turning their head and you then sit there and go, they're not valuing me. They're not listening. We all want a good listener next to us, but especially mama or a wife. Husband wants respect, but they too want to be listened to, especially if they're going through a difficult time. But now in a marriage, one may be a talker who is more talkative and one may not be as. Now, 
Does that mean the one who doesn't is listening? Not always true. I can assure you of that. I'm talking more often than my wife, as you can imagine, but my wife's not listening sometimes because she's working on her stuff from work, writing reports. I'm like, honey, you listen to me? Uh Uh-huh. And then I got to think, okay, wait a minute. A woman can do six things at once, and man only has, they don't have a wire between the two two computers in their brain, so they need to do one thing at a time. So what I often talk to my wife is saying, I don't get it. How in the world can you do six things at once, and I only can do one thing at a time? How could you listen to me while you're doing your report? She goes, because I'm a woman. And I said, but I can't. She goes, because you're a man. And sometimes we think that people are listening, and sometimes she admits, she goes, I'm just not listening to you. When she appears to be listening. Now, why am I sharing all this? It's because it doesn't go with personalities more than it goes with the intent to listen. And that's why Here's what James is trying to say. We have to be quick to hear. Now, what does that mean with God? How often are you listening to God and how often are you talking to God? Are you talking more than you're listening? And you're going to say, well, wait a minute, Bruno. What do you mean by that? I'm listening. Well, here's a form of listening with God. Rick just said it. Hello, son. It's good to see you today. (laughs) After all these dreary, cloudy, rainy days, the sun is appreciative today. But that's God's creation. It's general revelation. God is speaking. We listen. How do we listen? By saying, God, thank you that I have the perfect air quality, or not quality, but the air producing air that I need in order to live. If that's off by just a little bit, I could die because I would lose the necessary oxygen that I need to live. God, thank you for the trees. Thank you for the birds. Thank you for the moon. Thank you for the sun. Thank you for the wind. Thank you for the rain because that's his provision. And thank you for every little element of creation. That's how God speaks. But God also speaks through his word. This is special revelation. We believe it, it was oral prior to it being written. But we believe that God, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God breathed through the individual authors to write what we call the precious word of God, transmitted to us on writing paper. But we believe it's the word of God. How many of us are just listening to it? And see, he's trying to say, be quick to hear. Why? Because God gave us two ears and one mouth. I have to remind myself. Two ears, Bruno, one mouth. And listening is an exercise. It's not something that comes natural. Let me try to see if I can share another way. Extrovert people. You might be an extrovert like me. Some would... Some would say that an extrovert always looks out for himself or just wants to be, hey guys, here I am, I'm in the crowd, watch me. Not so much. Not so much. I can assure you of that. I'd rather go and go hang out by myself, to be honest with you. You might think that's crazy, but I do. I enjoy to be alone at times, more often than you might think. But God created me this way. I'm going to use it for however he wants me to. But extroverts, and I'll put myself out there, is an outgoing person, sociable person, life of the party, talks more than listens, apparently. But let me go back to that, does he or does she? 
You know, there are other ways of listening besides just listening to words. Um, if you have an Italian descent, you know that gestures, I'm looking at Bill Mino because Mino, his last name, we have gestures. Some of you out there are Italians, yes, we have gestures, right, Nora? We have gestures, you know, and we speak with our hands and we watch people's body language and we watch expressions. And if you're talking, you know other cultures are that way too. Oh, no, you didn't. You know, whenever you hear some, oh, no, you didn't. You did not just do that to me. In their mind, they're saying, you didn't just speak to me with your body language. If I'm speaking right now, I can say, hmm, who's listening intently and who's not? Who's falling asleep and batting their eyes and who's not? I can tell who's really listening by just, you guys are not saying a word but I can watch you by your body language. And yet I'm talking, I'm talking, but I'm watching you. De Niro. But here's the thing, here's the thing. Extroverts do talk more, but they're still listening. Now let's go to an introvert and you might say, "Uh uh-oh, no, this is not what I'm doing here. Introverts are known to be more reserved, shy, withdrawn, Retiring, it says here as a definition. Most would say, wow, he's quiet or she's quiet. She must be listening. Not always true. Because while you're quiet, you could be daydreaming, thinking about what you're doing tomorrow, thinking what you have to accomplish for the following few days, have your plan all laid out, thinking about your future, your retirement, your not retirement, thinking about the kids. And you could be sitting there apparently listening and you can be staring at me and I'll think you're listening and you're like, didn't hear a word he said today. You could just, and I'll be like, man, that person's a really good listener. They're just intently looking at me, and they're like, when's he going to finish? But the thing is, is that that's the whole thing. Listening is not something that comes with personality. That's my whole point in sharing this. In the Old Testament, the Lord often stated to his prophets when he said, listen. Hear, O Israel. Go to the Israelites, say, hear, O Israel. Why? Because... The word means this. This is what sama in the Hebrew means. It means to hear, also to listen, to pay attention to, to comply, to obey. So it's not just listening like saying, honey, did you listen? What did you say? What did you say? It's not the what did you say and then, uh-oh, I shouldn't have said that because now she's going to say, you weren't listening to me. So we never, men, don't ever say to your wife, what did you say? After they went through a long spiel or something, don't, please. And that's what I entitled my sermon today. What did you say? We've got to be good listeners. We have to work at it. But God is saying listening is with the intent to obey. So in the Old Testament, when God said listen, it wasn't, okay, Lord, let me listen to you because I got a football game I got to watch. I got a party I got to go to, but I'll listen for, the, for this few moments. But after that, Lord, I got to move on. God's saying, listen with the intent to obey. So James is highlighting that in the Hebrew here, and he's trying to give, it's an intent to listen. So how often are we listening to the Lord? How often are we looking to his word and saying, God, take this word and change me. Take this truth and invade my heart. How many of us are saying, God, whatever it takes, break me? Right, Marvie? Break me to the point where, Lord, I can become more like Jesus. Are we praying that prayer? 
Are we saying, God, what do you expect of me? God wants nothing more from us but a submissive heart. He's not asking anything else from us. When we hear his voice and we listen to him, he just wants us to surrender. It may seem inferior. It may seem like I have no say. I'm just supposed to submit and that's it. But that's where the power lies. The power of the Holy Spirit works through the individual that listens and surrenders. That's faith. Faith, when produced in the individual, is produced when God is producing the work. It's not us producing it. When he's talking about in verses 3 and 4 that he wants to do a complete work there, it's a complete work that's surrendering. And see, when sin comes into our lives, when we allow things to come in our lives, it's a barricade, it's a wall, it's a block that says, okay, God says I have to stop working right now because there's sin in the way. I can't work here, not because I don't want to work, but, but I can't because the Holy Spirit says it grieves me to work here. I'm quenched, I can't work. But when we confess and we submit and we admit, when we call sin what God calls sin, all of a sudden God's saying, okay, here we go. Let's get back to work. Let's get back to work. Holy Spirit, get back to work. And then the Holy Spirit is working and producing. It's painful, but he's producing. But here's where he goes on to say this too. He goes, not only quick to hear, but slow to speak. Because slow to speak means that we don't react. We respond. How often do we react? We all react in some fat form or fashion. We can react with body language. We can react with words. We could even react with passive aggressiveness. See, if you're, if you're one who doesn't like to confront and you're passive aggressive, you're reacting. It's called revenge. That's what it is. I've dealt with many people and counseled many people through that. Passive aggressive is called escapism. I don't want to confront, therefore I will escape. I will do nothing about this right now. That's a reaction. You know how you can respond? A person like that? By saying, God, help me to confront this situation. God, it's going to be painful. I feel uncomfortable. I don't like this, but I need to do this. And see, that's where God is teaching each one of us. Slowing, to, slowing down to speak means listening well, hearing the whole story, and then responding accordingly. And then here it says in Proverbs 18, 13, it says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is a folly and shame. Now here's where it goes on into the next set of words in that same verse. It's slow to anger. Now, you might say, okay, wait a minute. James said, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Where's anger coming in all this? Because sometimes what happens is we have uncontrolled speech can lead to uncontrolled anger. When things don't turn out the way we want to, we react. We react and we get angry. People tend to react and get angry. It's because things don't turn out the way that they want to. One of the things God taught me over the years is that, and I've had to learn this, and I still have to learn this, is that when situations are in my life and I don't like them, I'll get angry, and I'll think it's the person when it has nothing to do with the person. You know what it has to do with? God allowing it in my life. Why is he allowing this? Why are you allowing this in my life? I recall of the times when, my wife and I would have disagreements and arguments and we were in seminary and 
Um, we didn't have much money, and we were going through it, and we would argue over the, you know, the typical things, children, raising the children, having enough money, those things that are struggling in a marriage. And I'd get in my car, and I'd drive up there, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And I'd get angry, and I'd go into the parking lot up the street, and I'd sit there and tear it up and cry and pray. And the Holy Spirit just says, you know it's not her. I know, Lord. He goes, I'm working on you. I said, I know. He said, I'm allowing this to change you. I know. It's just so hard. He goes, did I say I will ever leave you? No. Did I say fear not for I'm with you? Yes. And I'd say, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'd be back in 40 minutes. God told me it was me, it's not you. I'd go right up to her and tell her and admit my wrong and deal with it. No more hanging on because it has nothing to do with the other person. I didn't like what was going on, so I got angry and just jetted off. God's saying, still working on you because I love you. I'm never gonna leave you nor forsake you. I'm producing that faith in you and then you're gonna endure. But I had to submit and I did. Because I knew it was me. I always know it's me. One of the things that God's helped me to understand throughout my walk with him in 30 years, that whenever I struggle, it's because of me. It's not the other person. That's what James, slow to anger means don't react. If you're listening well and you're slow to speak, then you'll be slow to anger because you're not reacting. You're hearing my voice. The Lord's saying, you're hearing my voice. And see, it says this, even Solomon said this in Proverbs, is whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who, get, who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips and he is deemed intelligent. I mean, even Proverbs 15.1, and this is something I've had to learn for years, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And see, where was James going with that? He says, for the anger, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Most would look at this. There are three ways of looking at it, righteousness of God. There's a, in the Greek, it's genitive source, which means this, that the righteousness that God gives, which we know in Romans chapter 3, that God gives us righteousness through his son, that it's, in, it's in, embedded in us or it's been given to us as a forensic term and then we're justified before God. Nothing we did but Christ who did it for us. It's objective genitive, which means the righteousness that God requires, which means in every way of our practical life, God requires righteousness through a surrendered heart in Christ that we would live out righteousness. Or subjective genitive, which the righteousness that God does, meaning he does it and then we receive something from it. In this case, it's, it's an objective genitive. See, because anger doesn't produce the righteous. Now, he's not talking about divine justice or anger because Jesus was angry. Even in Mark 3, 5, he was angry, but divinely angry at sin. If you'll just put your finger here for just a moment, uh, let's look at Mark chapter 3, verse 5. Do you guys have that up there? I think you do. Oh, great, you guys are awesome. All right, so let me just go from there. And he all looked around at them with anger. This is Jesus. Grieved at the hardness of their heart, the Jews. 
And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. But Jesus was angry. At what? At sin. That's why Jesus had to be the propitiation to appease the Father's wrath against sin. That's divine anger. But what we have too often is reactive, subjective anger. We react based on what we don't like because we don't like the way things are going when God's trying to use it for a purpose. So when the trial comes, if we learn to listen to God, if we learn to hear, if we learn to stop and just say, God, let me listen for just a moment, then God wants to do something. See, stop, I, I look at stop as submit to God, trust him, obey him, and persevere. Those are my four. Submit to God, trust that he has something for this, obey him even if you don't like it, and persevere through it. You know, uh, back in seminary, after seminary was done, I wrote my thesis. My wife had to work for an entire year full-time for us to get through that time because I, ha- I couldn't work. I had to stop work. And after that year, my wife had a wife talk with the husband and said, I'm tired of working full-time. I need a break. My wife has Epstein-Barr, and she gets tired at any moment. And she went through it for a year, and she started just physically, just she couldn't handle it anymore. I didn't know anything else to do but ministry to make a living. I worked at an insurance company. I thought, can I go back? But then if I go back, how long am I going to be there? I've got my resume out there. So I didn't know how long the resume was going to be out there, all my different resumes from all these different churches. So I'm finished up, and I didn't know what to do, and I'm crying out to God. So my wife goes, we're not doing it. So what did I do? I went like this to the Lord. I spread out my hands and went on my knees. I said, oh God, oh God, you hear the plea of my wife. I don't know what to do. Will you please open a door and do something? God, I need you right now to do a miracle. I don't know what to do for a living. I cried out to God. I can tell you, I, got, I just spread out my hands just like in 1 Kings 8, 27 when Solomon did that. And I said, Lord, I come to you and plead with you. Two months later, I had built a fence in my backyard. Down in Texas, fences are a dime a dozen, cedar fences, all kinds of them. I mean, people spend a lot of money. I did plenty of them. And I went out there, and I did it one time a year before, and my friend came by two months later. He said, who do your fence? I said, ah, oh, I just happened to do it, desperately needed to do it. My mom sent me the money, and I got it done. Small little area, not too much. He goes, I have a fence that needs to be built. Would you do it? I said, I don't know. Let me come and look at it. I'm, I don't do much construction work. I don't know if I'd trust myself doing a fence for you, but I'll give it a good look at it. Here it was. It, it was just a, a yard that was going down on an incline just to, to downgrade, and it's had this little where you go in Philly, like those back areas where you pull into your you know, back alley areas, and you had to kind of, it was like a downgrade. And I'm like, how in the world do I put that all together? So I'm just kind of looking at it, and I tell you, As truth can be truth, God just gave me a vision for it right there. All of a sudden, I said, I got to stack up two by eights and build a wall, a cedar wall. Rena, you know, down in the south, that's where you have to, and build it up and put and set up all these poles. I'm like, I think I can do this. I said, Lord, he said, yeah. Well, I got paid well for it. All of a sudden, people were driving by and said, hey, do you have a card? It looks really good. I'm like, uh, not yet. I don't have it on me. I didn't have a card. I had no business. I had nothing. I just was trying to help a friend. Here I had in my mind thinking, Lord, what are you doing? He goes, you're going to start a business. I'm like, what? 
I'm going to ministry. He goes, no, this is what you're going to do. So I tried to do a fencing business. didn't work. It's real hard. So then two months later, I tell you, I tell you this is is an incredible story. Two months later, I'm going to church. And that morning, I didn't want to go to church. So I went to the church. I went to our church. And my friend came up to me. He goes, hey, uh, what's, what's going on? I said, ah, I'm trying to start a business. It's not working out. The last two months, I can't get anybody. I don't know what to do, man. We're hurting financially. I don't know how we're going to get through this time. He goes, hey, talk to Barry. You know Barry? Yeah, talk to him. He's looking to paint his house. Well, I grew up with a master carpenter, painter, and I sat there and I said, I can do it. Went to my friend's house, sat down. He laid out three estimates he already got. He said, which one do you want to pick? I looked at him. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I'll give you the job. Pick which estimate. I said, the one in the middle. I said, it looks good. So I call on friends and say, dude, man, here, we're going to get some supplies. We're painting the house. We painted the house. The next door lady comes up to me, Velma, and she, she says, hello, hello. We start talking, talk about our Italian culture. And all of a sudden, uh, she goes, can you come over here and check out some work? I said, okay. And then Barry goes, you're never going to get her. I said, why? Now, Barry's a believer. I said, I said, ye have little faith, man. Trust the Lord, brother. I think I can get this. So I walk over there and he goes, you're not going to get it. She has contractors coming to her house, never gives in. I said, okay. Sat down with her, talked to her for about 45 minutes. She tells me some tiling. Never tiled in my life. Tiled a whole bit. I said, oh yeah, we can do all this stuff because I know I have friends who I can call on. She goes, okay, um, here's my key. I'm going away to Connecticut to see my family member. You got the job. I said, I do? It was like $3,500. Okay. Called up a friend. Can you tell? Yeah, okay, let's do this thing. I'll pay you this moment. Let's just say I got a lot of work from that lady. Let's just say I got thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year and a half later. Met one of my buddies who was a master carpenter, and he and I started working together. I ended up doing so many projects, did so well, got to the point where my accountant said, why would you want to go back into the ministry? You're doing incredibly well here. I had two major projects going on in 2007 that I was able to go on vacation and put two small crews on it in a matter of a year and a half after not knowing what was next. Here was God saying, just trust me. I've got a plan for you. And all I had to do was listen. All I did was listen. God said, you're going into business. I said, okay, Lord, I will do it if that's what you say. Here's after just graduating seminary, writing a thesis, and thinking I was going to be in the past right away. God said, no, I got other plans. Do you know in the past 10 years, God has used that in so many ways is incredible. So many ways to the point where I had a woman come up to me from my former church, said, I have no money. My, my husband and I need to finish a bathroom to sell the house. I said, when do you need me there? I've got a tile saw. I can tile out your bathroom. She started crying. I said, she goes, how much? I said, nothing. I want to do it unto the Lord. That's what God was doing, things like that, where this past weekend I helped my friend build an addition to a shed in two days. Now, he could could pay me. I said, no, I'm happy. Just want to help. Those are the blessings. When I went on to ministry, we traveled around and did all kinds of things. We went and traveled 20 hours away from Texas to, to a, a place where there were batteredly beaten women who were, we were creating this. I led a fencing team that did 600 linear foot of fencing, capped it and all, was on a truck in the back of a truck with my framing nail, just capping the two by tens up on, or two by eight seaters on top, driving around the whole premise. We did 40 yards of concrete, built two decks, 
We did this in about six or seven days. Why? Because God said, I'm going to use you in so many, not just to keep you in provision, but also use it for the kingdom of God. And I've done setting up contract and construction things. But why? Because it started with just listen and obey. Cool things. I mean, it's just cool things. And I never anticipated, didn't even think about it. Never crossed my mind when I say contract and carpentry. But my father was a master carpenter. My grandfather was a wood craftsman. And now my son wants to be a carpenter. That's the beauty of God when you listen. So what does it require for us to listen? It says in verse 22, verse 21, excuse me. Therefore, put away, what will it take for us to learn to obey? This is what James says. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness or humbly or meekness the implanted word. Meekness doesn't mean you give in weakness. Meekness simply means that constrained demeanor. So you don't get angry. You're slow to anger. And it says the implanted word. Where's that implanted word? In verse 18, the word of truth. Because when the implanted word comes in us, if we receive it with meekness, submission, and saying, God, do a work in me, it's able to save our souls. See, when we learn to listen and learn to be slow to speak and slow to anger, this is what it's going to require. Patience. Ask questions if you're going to speak. Exercise it. Tell yourself, don't speak, don't speak, don't speak. With always the desire to obey. That's what God's doing. That's what he's saying here. The implanted word of God saves souls. And when it does, it saves souls in ways that can be unimaginable. But each one of us has to take that willingness to listen to God. Are you listening? Are you talking? Are you just not doing much of both? Maybe you're, in a, you, maybe you're in a tough time right now and you're struggling. I want to encourage you. God wants to do a work in each one of us. But we have to begin by learning to listen because then with listening, God does an awesome work.